Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. Friends, if you're able, would you grab a Bible with me and open to Psalm 48. As you do that, I bring you greetings from 2,200 other teaching elders and ruling elders from the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America who met this past week in Memphis. And Barry Blades, one of your ruling elders and I, represented you at uh, General Assembly. And in the weeks ahead, I'd love to share more with you about the decisions and about what all went on at General Assembly. Um, Let me just share... uh, one brief thing, and that is that the PCA, in the midst of all of the denominations, it seems continuing to decline, the PCA this past year, in fact, grew. And we are back to uh, pre-COVID numbers. And, you know, one year doesn't a pattern make, but it does tell us that uh, the Lord continues to bless the Presbyterian Church in America. So in the weeks ahead, I'll be uh, looking for opportunities to share more with you. Please feel free to ask me or ask Barry about uh, the week in Memphis. And thank you for your prayers there. And uh, we covet those and um, felt them. So thank you very much. In the summer at Trinity, we preach through the Psalms until we finish. And today we come to Psalm 48. Now, the reason we preach about the Psalms in Trinity is because the Psalms become for us a way to train our families, train our own hearts, to learn what to do with the emotions that we feel. Because as Christians, we neither stuff the emotions down and ignore them, nor do we let our emotions lead us and define us and become our identity in unhelpful, unholy ways. Our emotions are given to us by the Lord and are not to be tamped down, nor are they to just dominate us. We are to pray our emotions. And the Psalter, the Psalms, help us to do that. Gospel-redeemed people need to understand the motives and the methods by which God shapes our hearts. And the Psalms particularly help us to do that well. So we turn to Psalm 48 today. It's a majestic psalm. It is a reflection of the city of God, as you'll hear, the great city of Jerusalem. And it is a metonym. It is a symbol. It is a picture for Christians today of the church and the beauty of God's presence in our midst. And so if you're willing and able, would you stand with me as we read Psalm 48? Please give your attention to God's word. It is given to you in love and men have died to provide it for you in our mother tongue. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. 
Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled. They came on together as soon as they saw it. They were astonished, astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God. Our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. Years ago, when I was a campus minister in New Jersey, one of the most coveted jobs on campus at Princeton was to be an Orange Key tour guide. And if you've visited any college campus, you know what this is like. You'll find a person usually walking backwards across the campus with a gaggle of people, prospective students and parents. And the Orange Key tour guides were coveted positions on campus because they got to show people Blair Arch and the beauty of Dickinson Hall, this stunningly beautiful campus that was 300 years old. They had the privilege of being able to show these parents, often for the very first time, the history and the beauty of a place like Princeton. When you come to Psalm 48, it is as though the psalmist is taking you on a tour, but not of a college campus, however beautiful it might be in the eyes of our country. Something far more beautiful and something far longer established. The psalmist is taking us on a tour of the beauty of the church. And this morning, this course of the psalm is for every one of us, but I especially want to talk to the fathers in the room. Because when you read Psalm 48, it is as though the psalmist, though we don't know exactly who the psalmist is, it is as though the psalmist is taking us on a tour to say, look at the beauty of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see four things in this psalm. You see privilege. Secondly, you see the security. Thirdly, you see the joy. And fourthly, you see the legacy of this city of Zion that we call the church. Now, if you would lower your eyes to the text and look with me at the privilege that we have. Great is the Lord, 
and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. The psalmist begins by extolling the beauty of the city. It's as though he is walking up to Jerusalem from many miles away, perhaps for a festival or for one of the Levitical feasts, and he sees it in the distance. There it is. He says, look at this beautiful city. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's not saying great is the building, great is the city, great is the... He is saying great is the one who has built it, namely the Lord. Now, I don't know what your normal routines are when you come to worship on a Sunday morning, but let me give you a little pro tip, especially for you dads as you're driving your family to church. And that is, long before you even see the glories of the sixth grade center, when you're driving up, and one day the glories of this beautiful building, which potentially might distract you from the heart of the gospel, but we shouldn't let it. When you're driving up, you say, praise be to the Lord's great name, because great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the church we call Trinity, in the city of God. Remember, in the Old Testament, Jerusalem, the city of God, was the place where God's presence dwelt. It was an old city. It was a city that was established in 3,500 B.C. And remember in 2 Samuel chapter 5, remember David takes the city from whom? From the Jebusites. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, do you remember he brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem? And it's there in Jerusalem where God's presence dwells. And for all who were in the midst of God's presence, it was this astounding privilege to be in the city of the God of Israel. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation as they're going to the city, as you're driving to church. Father, thank you for this church. It is beautiful despite all of its weaknesses and needs. Lord, you have called us to be a people that are beautiful for the city of Owasso and Tulsa and Broken Arrow and Sepulpa and Muskogee. Would you consider praying that as you prepare your heart to come to worship every week? Beautiful in its elevation. Because what's beautiful about the city of Jerusalem was that God's presence dwelt there. And what's beautiful about this church is that by His Holy Spirit, God's presence dwells here. Which is why, you know, why is it that in the early church, you know, in Acts 1, uh, 8, it says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right? That's ground zero for the church. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Why is it that in the first 300 years, the gospel spread through 12 men and Within three or four hundred years, it was the known religion of the Roman Empire. They didn't have cities. They didn't have buildings. They All they had was the presence of God in their midst. It was beautiful in its elevation. Notice also that not only was it a privilege, was it beautiful, but the response to the beauty of the city is that you ought to be humbled. Jesus is the door. He is the sheep gate. He is the reason we, the way we enter in to the church. It's by faith and his finished work for us. It's a city that is only for saints. It's a church that's only for those who are justified. And though we are broken and in need of progressive sanctification all the days of our life, 
What a privilege it is to look back and see how Jesus was at work in your life for decades before you probably ever realized what he was doing. It's a privilege. And do you see it as such? Straight talk, honest question. Do you see the church as the privilege that it is for helping you to grow more self-aware and to see the beauty of the gospel of grace and to give your life meaning and purpose through the gospel in ways impossible by any other means? Or do you see the church as a social club, as something that you just come to because it's a way to morally restrain your children or yourself? Friends, in the 1950s and 60s, the twilight of the enlightenment of the mainline church happened because people forgot the privilege of the gospel in the church and they stopped preaching it. And decade by decade went by that the mainline church, which once had such a privileged status in our land, began to become more and more apostate. But we, as a new generation, even as a young church plant, have the privilege of raising our children up to hold the gospel forth and to see it as a privilege that it is. And that ought not make you proud. It ought to humble you to the dust because you don't deserve to be in this city. Just like little Martha, what did she do to be welcomed into the church? She did, she did nothing. It's God's covenant promise upon her that brings her in to the visible church. And what did you do? Friends, you are dead in your trespasses and sins and without hope. But Christ came and died for you and provided a way that you might be brought in not just to be reconciled with him, but you might be reconciled to him in the context of covenant community. Which, as the psalmist writes of this city, is true for us today in the church. Matthew 23, 12 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is the mark of one who has received the privileged status to receive a righteousness that they never earned and don't deserve. And that humility is also the mark of one who is secure. Look at verses 4 to 8. For behold, the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded in panic. They took to flight. The kings of the world saw Jerusalem and its beauty. And when they were astounded, the kings had amassed their power. And in the same way, the church through the ages has it not. Always foils whatever political wiles go against it. It will endure. Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No political power will squelch the church. There were times when the church, it seemed, Elijah said, Lord, are there any here? And the Lord says, oh, I have many who have not bowed their knee to Baal. And today, we still retain a kind of privileged status in Oklahoma for the church. But it wasn't long ago that when we lived in the Northeast, it wasn't that way. And you know, for those of you who've moved to us from the Northwest in recent years, it is not that way now. Do you know that in Europe, in Australia actually, there was a, a CEO, I think I've told this story before, who became the CEO of a football team, a soccer team. And when they found out that he was an evangelical Christian, people cried. All of these um, 
concerns about his xenophobia, they thought. All of his narrow beliefs. And he actually had to step down from being the CEO of the soccer club because he was a member of a local evangelical church. Now that seems far off across the nation, across the waters from us. But you know what? It's not that far away. And there may be days when you and I aren't just threatened by political persecution, but we might also be threatened by economic persecution. Notice in verse 7, it says, By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. What are the ships of Tarshish? Those are the merchant ships of the ancient Near East. They could sail great distances, bringing the goods of the world. No economic power will be able to foil the work of the beauty of the church. Whether it's politics or it's economics, one day, someday, you may get passed up. I have a friend in New York City who was passed up recently for a promotion at work. And the only reason he could possibly imagine was because he was an evangelical Christian. And we think, well, that won't ever happen. Well, it happens subtly all the time and already is happening. And yet here we are, fathers, on a tour of the beauty of the church with our children. But dad, why didn't you get the promotion? Well, son, it's because I believe God's word and I'm an evangelical Christian. Daddy, how come we have to move into a different house? Well, son, it's because I refused to lie at work. And I want to be a man of integrity. And I may not be able to give you a big inheritance monetarily, but I pray that, oh, Father, would you give our men the ability to give our children the inheritance of an integrity that never fades or spoils. What would it be like to be the kind of church where you're able to talk about this? And yet, we don't just stick our heads in the sand and disappear from the world. We engage the world. We're in the midst of the world. We love this city. We try to make Tulsa even a more beautiful place. But it's because we have the power of the gospel that we are the ones who can, exec- that can execute and be the hands and feet of justice and righteousness and equity. So that when Juneteenth is celebrated and it feels far off, we say, no, we're going to celebrate it. Because it's a beautiful holiday to remind all of our brothers and sisters who were under the heavy hand of a horrible slavery that they indeed are free. And that we pray that the city of Tulsa, who is also under the horrible tyranny of economics, of the idolatry of sports, of all these things, we can say there is a freedom that you can have. You just need to get the news across. And it's the Holy Spirit who can make that news travel even to the depths of the human heart. There is security in this city. Jim Elliot said, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Friends, there is security in the beautiful city of God. Amen? That God has called us to be a covenant community of broken people, where there is security for you to be able to admit that you don't have it all together, to admit that you're still struggling with sin, to admit that Jesus is the head of the church, to admit that the elders as much as we want to lead well, don't have it all together all the time. To be able to be in a community and a church that you've always wanted to go to. Do you know how this church becomes that way? Because you help make it that way. And you don't wait for the elders to do it. You take the initiative to say, I'm going to pray 
And I'm going to serve and I'm going to do whatever I can to help make this a beautiful picture of what a covenant community can be in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it can be that. Not only is it a privilege in this beautiful city of God, verses 1 to 3, not only do we have its protection, verses 4 to 8, but we also have the joy. Verse 9, we have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. He's in the city now. The tour guide is taking you into the temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. So let Mount Zion be glad. Christians ought to be the most joyful people in the world. Not a pasty smile, but a real deep sense of joy and delight. We ought to be people who have this incredible hope, not optimism, but hope. And you do know the difference, right? Let your right hand be filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgment. During the Vietnam War, there was a, uh, an advice admiral. His name is James Stockdale, who was held for more than seven years by the North Vietnamese in a prison. And Stockdale noticed this trend among his fellow prisoners that the prisoners who did not make it out of prison were the prisoners who were most optimistic. Now, most optimistic? Yes, most optimistic. Because they said, oh, by Christmas, we're going to be out of here. And Christmas came and went. By Easter, we're going to be out of here. And Easter came and went. By Thanksgiving, we're going to be out of here. And Thanksgiving came and went. And James Stockdale said, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And they were my friends who died of a broken heart. And there is a word for believing that you can make things better without distorting reality. It's not optimism, but it's hope. And these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And so we are to be people who are hopeful. And this hope brings a kind of insatiable joy to us because we have hope. We have hope that one day the true city in Revelation 21 will come down out of heaven to earth when the earth is renewed and made whole in the beauty of Jesus' return when the great trumpet will sound and we will be a people who will be free indeed in the great city of our God and the church is the place where we are able to see its beauty now. Because it's not just the privilege or the security of the city, not just the joy of the city. You see it in verses 9 through 11, the delight, but it's also 12 through 14. It's in the legacy. Walk about Zion. Oh, mothers and fathers with your children. Go around her. Number her towers. Do you talk with your children about how the church works? Those are the elders. Those are the deacons. That person, they're agreed or they're passing out bulletins. This is how the church works when we have elections of officers. This is what Pastor Blake does. This is his calling. Isn't the church beautiful? Do you talk about the church and all of its intricacies? This is what the church believes. This is why we go to church. This is why some of your friends, they don't go to church. They may stay home, but we do. This is who we are. Is that the kind of language? Would it be great if Father's Day, like Mother's Day, was the highest attendance Sunday in the church? 
because fathers are consistently showing their kids the beauty of the church. Now, I know I'm speaking to the choir when I say that, but number her ramparts. Augustine said that if you, take, your, if you take, a, take somebody through the church, you number her ramparts. You show her the beauty and the intricacies of all that the church does. So that when, the, when your children one day look back, they will say one generation proclaimed your works to another faithfully. The legacy is a legacy of God's sovereignty in the present. Notice it says in verse 13 and verse 14, that you may tell the next generation that this is our, this is God. Present tense. This is where his presence is. But also there's a legacy of hope for the future. Our God forever and ever. And he will guide us. So fathers, on this Father's Day, I just want to invite you to be a tour guide of the church. Like those orange key tour guides at Princeton. Take people through the beautiful archways of Blair Arch and McCosh Hall and Dickinson. They see the beauty of this Gothic campus. How much more beautiful is the church? Look around. The way the Holy Spirit is at work and the people's lives, the back of the heads that you're looking at right now, the people that you see in this church, infinitely more beautiful than any edifice we could ever build is the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Would you show your children that? Would you tell them that? Would you raise them up in that beauty? Would you help us to be a people who love the church? Who never mistake the beauty and the heart of the gospel being separated into some individual relationship with Jesus away from the church, but who say you grow in the church. And may we be able to be a people who value her, just like the psalmist in Psalm 48 invites us to do. Father's Day is a day we give thanks to our fathers. And it is a day that those of us who are fathers, we invest in our role as fathers. And would you join me in helping our children see the privilege, the security, the delight, and the legacy of being called citizens of this enduring city as Christians united to Christ? And would you join me in preparing to come to worship each Sunday and praying, Lord, we see your holy mountain beautiful in elevation and we pray even now that you'd prepare us to be changed by your presence in corporate worship. And would you dare even pray for other churches in this city that they would preach the gospel of grace and that we might plant more churches so that we can extend the glory and the beauty of the Lord just as waters cover the earth. So may the praise of his name reach the ends of the earth. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, on this Father's Day, we don't beat up on dads and tell them to be better. We show them the beauty of your covenant family. And so would you help us to do that? To reflect upon the beauty of your church. I pray, Lord, that you would help the fathers in this church especially 
to consider her ramparts, number her towers, to talk to their children about the beauty of your body. And Lord, would you help us as the church, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to present her to you blameless and spotless. Jesus, thank you that you are going to do that for us. Your work on the cross was proof of that. And we pray that you would help this church to grow in its ever-deepening appreciation for the joy of being called your covenant people in your great city, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.